You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, Alex. Hey, Nick. Do you know what it feels like to uh, put a lot of work into something and uh, then have it completely demolished? Almost like a, like you're working really hard. You know, you, you, you do like a good good job of something. And then like, like you build a sandcastle, right? You're on the beach, you build a sandcastle. And then like some asshole who doesn't understand sandcastles comes and fucking kicks over your sandcastle. In this metaphor, however, the person I was building the sandcastle with exported the sandcastle wrong, and now we have to build it all over again because of a very simple uh, mistake. So the castle is the show, is an episode of the show. The, the, the person kicking over the sandcastle is me. The person who built the sandcastle is me and you. Correct. How do you feel about that? There's really nothing I can do, and I think I've learned to deal with it over time. And you should, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, I'm black, and it's 2020. So you're so on. So I don't really have a choice. Yeah, let's be real. I give you guys about another five years. Little Justice, Little Justice, Little Justice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Little Justice, this thing we do. I am Nick Walker. Who are you? Alex Molo. So nice to be uh, back. So, funny story. So, we actually did a record of this very same theme yesterday. And uh, I am technology inept. So, what happened was I sent my recording in to Alex. Alex called me back and was like, dude, you sound echoey. Resend the thing. And I had erased the track because i was like oh well i sent him the mp3 like we're all good but we weren't good were we alex you weren't good no were we you were not good can you not hear me anymore i can't i can't hear you little justice i'm still rolling are you still rolling? i'm still rolling you are you are literally the most tech unsavvy person i've ever met in my entire life dude i don't do so as we're talking about the tech problem that you caused you cause another tech problem hello 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 can't hear you anymore hello 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 so hey welcome to little justice this episode is gonna be fun because alex is gonna be pissed We've already done it. We've already done I'll it. I'll tell you, this morning, my sister walked my mom through how to use Instagram. Oh, I love that. And I'm I'm more impressed with her technological savvy. Her prowess. Than I am with you. I, I, I hold her on a higher level. That doesn't surprise me. It also doesn't surprise me because, quite frankly, your mom is the best, as is your sister. I love both. Me and your sister have a special connection. Um, yes, we can move on. All right, moving on. Uh, all right. All right, buddy. We, Don't want to talk about go. that. Uh, I do, though, and I will talk about it later. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so, guys, so we were thinking about what the theme of today's show should be. And um, it came to our attention that, you know, we are still in the apocalypse. And uh, what is better uh, do you need more to survive the apocalypse more than buddies? Um, buddies get you through, Friends. you know, fronds. Friends. Tell me well, what's the, tell me the difference between buddies and friends in this context. <sighs> you know, it's interesting because I actually think, you know, when I hear the term buddies, I think that friends are much deeper connection than buddies. And yet, 
Um, I think the two that we are, you know, that we brought up, I think, um, I think these as buddies are a pretty deep connection for buddies. These are, they are, these but they're not, they're not necessarily friends. No. So I will, I think, okay. So that, I think that, that, that right there says everything, right? You don't have to like each other to be, to be friends, to be buddies, you know, I think, or in, at least in a buddy movie. In fact, I think the point of a buddy movie is these people often don't like each other. Um, they don't get along. They are opposites. And when they do get along, it, it, you know, can sometimes be like a kind of a misdirection. They don't get along for long. You know, and friends, you know, the whole point is that you, you, you actually like spending time with each other. Like we, you and I are not. So friends. we, we're, we're not friends. So we're, we're more buddies. We're more, saying. we have a mutual arrangement for our, for our continued success. Do you know what I mean? I, you have used me um, for years for years and I have used you indiscriminately from time to time. So it's a mu- mutual usage. A mutual usage. Yeah. Like like you'd use a broom or a dustpan. That is how I view our connection. You know, take it or leave it. And you will take it because you're desperate. I'll take yeah, I'll take what I can get at this point. Dude, it's twenty twenty. <laughs> You know what I mean? You know? That's that should be the tagline of our show. It's 2020, guys. It's 2020. It's 2020. Get over it. You know. We'll see by the end of the year. We'll see, we'll see what that actually means. Get, just get through today, the buddy movie. So what? Before we even start, you know, one of the things we realize is we want to give you context, context, context. Not only of the movie itself, but of what a, what what the theme is a buddy movie. So Alex, how do you define a buddy movie? So a a buddy movie to me is it's it has to be two characters. Okay? It's a film with two two characters on a similar trajectory. I think the buddy cop movie is is such a popular subgenre because it's it's easy, right? There's two people who are on the same team but maybe at odds with each other. So it's two people who are um along the same, maybe not even with the same goals, but along the same path, right? They can't do what they're doing without this other person. They're, they're tied for some reason or another to this other person as they're moving along. And over the course of the film, uh, each of them are sort of examined individually, but then uh, their relationship informs how the plot plays out. Um, so they're not necessarily friends. They're not necessarily enemies. They don't have to hate each other. They don't have to love each other. Um, but they have to have an interesting, some sort of interesting dynamic. Uh, and that, it plays well in comedy, it plays well in drama, it plays well in fantasy, well, it plays I th- well. I think that's the thing that you, me- you know, I liked about what you mentioned, the idea of sub subgenres. You know, I think that Buddy is broad enough that there's there's so many different ways of telling the Buddy story, whether it's Buddy Cop or buddy criminal or buddy whatever what have you i think i just think there's right. you know everyone we've seen so, so many of so these you, things you've got your obvious ones right your lethal weapons yeah rush hours yep uh what are some some not so obvious buddy movies uh i mean well it's, it's interesting because the, the all the ones that come to my mind are variations on the buddy cop on um, buddy cop right like isn't that crazy because uh, th- I was thinking like Men in Black, Wild Wild West. Uh, you know what? Uh, Beetlejuice. I would consider Beetlejuice in many ways. A Beetlejuice, buddy. right? Um, I would two con- characters playing off each other. I would absolutely. Cons- I would consider um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is certainly a buddy movie. 
Tarantino's newest. In fact, Tarantino has kind of done a slew of buddy movies, really, uh, in the past couple, uh, I'd say since Kill Bill, really. Actually, he has always kind of done this buddy. He always at least, even if it's not, they're not the main focus, he always has two people paired up who have a rapport. Um, Pulp Fiction, it's uh, John Travolta as as, Ver, uh, as uh, Vincent Vega and uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Jules. In Kill Bill, it's, it's the bride and Bill. Um, in Django Unchained, it's, you know, he juxtaposes the friendship between, um, you know, um, Django, played by Jamie Foxx, and Dr. King Schultz, played by Christoph Waltz, uh, juxtaposed to uh, Calvin Candy, uh, play, made, placed, uh, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, based off of Alex Gl- Molo. Um, glad, and, uh, glad we have the names of all the actors and characters in order. I'm trying to give them context. It's very informative. It should be um, bitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's uh, fine. But their time's but not yeah. their time's not valuable. Don't worry about it. Oh my god! Uh, even <laughs> Star Wars. Star Wars is kind of a buddy movie if you think about it. I mean, especially Empire Strikes Back. Um, it's more of Empire is more of a love story. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Well, I feel like once you once you bre- breach beyond two characters, it becomes a bit ensemble. Uh, I think Tarantino does buddy in sequences. He he has really like like the the relationship of the hitmen in Pulp Fiction is its own buddy movie. Uh, but I wouldn't consider Pulp Fiction a buddy movie. I I definitely consider Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a buddy movie though. I think I think definitely anytime you have two characters. I think kids' movies too. It plays a lot. Mac and Me, Spy Kids. They were they were buddies. Spy Kids, something where you have uh, little monsters. Little um, monsters. S- something where you have one character who wants something introduced to another character who wants something, and they help each other get there through ordeal. The buddy movie. So uh, so we had done this fun thing that we kind of can't do anymore because, you know, uh, I know what your movie is. Uh, but you had, uh, but maybe you can you, do. You can act. You can act surprised. Well, I can act. I, I am an actor, and you know you can do it for them. So what we had done <laughs> yesterday was instead of Alex uh, telling me what his movie was, he had described his movie to me, and then we'd seen uh, uh, when, how fast I could guess it. I did the same thing for him because we realized that one of the things we want to do for you guys is give you context. You know, we are huge movie nerds, so we have a, a borderline encyclopedic knowledge of these films. Um, some people who are listening might not have that and that's cool and you shouldn't because that means you have a life. Um, we don't, so we do. And, um, so we just want to make sure that we're always providing context for these movies, giving you at least a little bit of the plot. Um, so Alex, do you want to, you want to have them guess, see if they can guess what the movie is? Go ahead. So what, what did you choose? The theme is buddies. What did you choose? It shouldn't take long. The theme is buddies. So I thought what, what movie kind of best encapsulates the relationship in a good buddy movie, you know, where it's not necessarily a positive relationship. It's not necessarily negative, but it's two people intertwined, you know, having, having their lives and their, their kind of psyches intertwined, Mm. um, so that they can both use each other. Yep. To grow. Yep. Yep. Uh, so the film I chose is about a man. Uh, he's a white collar worker, boring office job. Yeah. Uh, as many movies in the 90s people had. Yeah. Uh, is finding himself frustrated and stepped on and uh, completely acknowledges that he is, is sort of powerless uh-huh. over his own life. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, he has a chance meeting uh, with the, the most handsome man ever to live 
And this is where I say, oh, oh, I know what he's talking about. It's not about. me, if that's what you're thinking. I'm not thinking that. Uh, he meets Brad Pitt. Yeah. Uh, who's a, and, a soap salesman. No, who's no a, a soap salesman. Yeah. Uh, who introduces soaps. him to, to the idea that uh, you can kind of use, use your pain to escape <laughs> that, to get yeah, above yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in the context of A... Fight Club. I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What, what I thought was interesting in the context of what we're trying to do and why I think this is the best example of a buddy movie is that it's both literally and figuratively these two characters growing with each like. It literally, like, the main character doesn't grow without the other one because uh, they're the same person. And so the growth is really in this one person all along, right? So there's not just accomplishing a physical set of tasks. It's not just moving along a plot, having something bad happen, and figuring out how you're going to get out of it. It's it's somebody who you think at first is shifting the blame, shifting the emphasis to this other person saying, well, it's this guy doing it to me. He's the one drawing me into this. I'm just figuring it out and using that as sort of an excuse to, to be moving forward. Right. And he's fighting it all along and he's saying we shouldn't do this. And then he does it and then he feels better. And he's um, even his relationship with the, the Marla character. Um, now who was Mar- Marla is Marla. Oh, Helena Bonham Carter. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Are you who's who plays her. Yeah. He meets someone about as crazy as he is. Well, probably crazier than he is. Uh, and his relationship is informed. You know, he... Everything is informed through this other character yeah. who kind of stands at arm's length but has complete transformative control over the main character's life. Uh, so by the time you come to realize they're the same person, um, on, on reflection, you realize that like all the, all the growth that's happening you think from one to the other is is actually happening in the same sphere. And it's one of those things where you, you can't get better. I mean, imagine getting to the end of Rush Hour and you realize that Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker are the same person all along. Well, that, that wouldn't that have... For them? That wouldn't have the same impact, I don't think, because that would just mean that he would be... Uh, very. Um, imagine uh, what that character would be. Imagine, if Jackie, imagine Chan, Jackie Chan with Chris Tucker's personality... Uh, like blacking out and going all Chris Tucker. Well, I think that's that's and then waking the, up and that's being like the best term, where, blacking where out. Am I? Blacking out. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> going going so far, and I think that that's kind of the thing. You know, I I if I that's not a movie I would pay for. Uh, if that's the twist, and because Rush Hour doesn't need a twist, I think you know I think what we, one thing one thing that we talked about yesterday was, and you mentioned um, earlier, but the '90s, you know, '90s movies. So many of these films were about suppression. And about the idea of, yeah. you know, we l- were living in such a kind of a financially, fiscally uh, successful time. Everything was going perfect. So you had a lot of these movies, whether it was Fight Club, whether it was Office Space, where it was The Matrix, um, where your hero was somebody who really pushed a lot of stuff down. And the movie was them dealing with their, their inner rage unleashed, yeah. you know. Um, and especially in the sense of Fight Club, where it is literally... You know, this Tyler Durden, uh, Brad Pitt's character, comes along as a gateway to release the rage and the 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 you know um, visceral the visceral 
nature that this guy has kind of put down because the whole the whole setup of the movie is that this guy is like he's he's mundane he 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 goes from day to day just kind of sleepwalking through life and has forgotten and has has for you know is not in touch with the the yeah. true animal side of himself so but, this but is whereas a, in you know the movie serves it as an whereas in something like the matrix you have the character gets gets pulled into it against his will you know his his eyes are his eyes are opened by somebody else uh, he's not necessarily looking for it. Um, in in Fight Club, you acknowledge from the get go he's he's completely self loathing. It's not that he doesn't possess the desire to change; it's that he's so cynical and so stuck in his in his life and in his ways that he thinks that there's not a way to change. Like so many others, I had become a slave to the IKEA nesting instinct. Uh, yes, I'd like to order the Erica Picari dust ruffles. If I saw something clever, like a little coffee table in the shape of a yin-yang, I had to have it. So it's, it's not even Tyler Durden coming along and opening his eyes to the new thing, which he does, but it's, it's uh, giving him the correct venue for escape you know give, giving him the perspective that he needs you know in in the case of of fight club it's that he gets pushed down to like the pits of despair so so that tyler durden can emerge you know, i mean he's he is so far gone into this kind of um banality that tyler durden is necessary and i think that's i think that goes back to your point of what makes this such a great buddy movie is the buddy comes out of such a strong need Hello? Who's this? Tyler? Who is this? Um, <clears throat> we, met, we met on the airplane. We had the same suitcase. Uh, the clever guy. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I called a second ago. There, there was no answer. I'm, I'm at a payphone. Yeah, sorry. Star 69. You know, and Tyler Durden, the way he's written, you know, having him portrayed by Brad Pitt, who is this, especially at that time, this Adonis of a fucking human being. Um, like Brad Pitt, you know, and we mentioned this yesterday, Brad Pitt is is one of the only, you know, especially 1990, was it eight Brad Pitt? Yeah. 1998 Brad Pitt was is a man that I would say, you know, I'm, I'm very we, much straight, we tend to straight talk, We talk about this maybe too much. Uh, not or, or not enough. The fact that we would open ourselves, uh, you know, and and love love on Brad Pitt, you know, I think that that's a beautiful thing, you know, that we can admit that because who wouldn't admit that? Um, dumb dumbasses who is who, you know, people who have no have no soul, uh, you know. But yeah, Brad Pitt comes in and is shirtless and sweaty and and like fucking smart as a whip and selling soaps and. He's all, he just, you know, he's above the system. He doesn't care about the system. He's everything that this guy wants to be. And it just, you know, touched into this kind of angry young man syndrome, but like pushed up to 11, like 11, like on steroids, like rebel without, rebel without a cause, but like jacked up on Molly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like James Dean pounding four locos in the back of your Chevy with a shotgun, uh, you know, and a little doggy trailing behind. Uh, that he's tied to the car with like barbed wire, you know. Put that image in your head. Let it sit. You know what I mean? I think that's where Tyler Durden lives, uh, is in that that kind of place. It's just it's just ultra 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 wish fulfillment. Um, so yeah. for these two to be, I think, and it's also I think it, that's the other thing I love about it too. Is it like it tapped into that like 
dream scenario that like those of us who grew up as more more of the bookish it, people. It's a, it's a power fantasy. It's a power fantasy, and it's it's the fantasy that that the cool guy picks you. I think that's I think that's the cool part about it. You know, and then for, the realization that the cool guy was you all was along. you all along, but has also destroyed your lesson. life. You know, well destroyed your life. Um. Because I think that's the, that's the, that's the sad part about this movie is, fucking Tyler Durden comes in there and says your life is you know is meaningless <laughs> in the pursuit of my cause, which is ultimate destruction. You know the Fight Club right. ought, it becomes this terrorist group, and it's just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, man, I, I love I, yeah Fight Club. I, I I do see why you picked that as a as a great as a great buddy movie, and and especially you know you look at some of the the sh- I, I, my favorite scenes in that movie are the scenes early on when they're first. Just becoming friends. Um, the shots yeah. of that, you know, when they're walking around, there's a scene where they're walking around, him and Tyler Durden, and they've just, you know, created the fight club properly and they've given it official rules. And uh, Tyler Durden and the narrator are walking around bashing cars with a baseball bat. Did you know there's a fight club up in Delaware City? Yeah, I heard. <laughs> there's one in Penn's Grove, too. Bob even found one up in Newcastle. Yeah, did you start that one? No, I thought you did. And like, like almost like they're like picking flowers, or like you know, it's it's treated with the the causality, like the or the casual nature of let's say causality, like the like the uh, the what's his name from fucking uh, Matrix Reloaded. You see, there is only one constant: causality, action, reaction. He is the Merovingian. The Merovingian. What a random fucking name. It, for those of you who don't know, in Matrix Reloaded, there's this, I mean, they just like pumped this thing with like almost too much f- philosophical debate. And there's a scene in which they're talking about like action versus reaction. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I have sampled every language. French is my favorite, fantastic language. Especially to curse with. Nom de Dieu, de putain de bordel de merde, de saloperie, de connard, d'enculé de ta mère. It's like wiping your ass with silk. I love it. Um, but back to the point. Yeah, I do, I do anyway. absolutely see. Anyway, you know, that is definitely what makes Fight Club such a wonderful buddy movie is the idea that like, you know, on the one hand, you find the ultimate friend. On the other hand, you realize you've gone completely insane, and so you've created your own ultimate friend. It's pretty fucked up. I love that. Um, yeah. Fight Club, baby. You shot yourself? Yes, but it's okay. Marla, look at me. I'm really okay. Trust me. Everything's gonna be fine. <gasps> While I know what you have decided, we're not going to tell anybody yet. I want you to to lay the scene, set us so, up. Set the scene. I'll set the scene for my film that I've chosen to represent buddies. Uh, so we open on an icy tundra. The year is prehistoric. I'm not sure exactly numerically what the year is. There's a caveman and his buddy roaming the icy tundra. 
looking for who knows. One of the cavemen falls into a cave. Caveman is looking around, sees what can only be described as a slimy alien creature. Creature attacks. Buddy Caveman comes in, kills the alien, but it's too late. His friend is already dead. Flash forward many, many thousands of years. This icy tundra is now Dallas. A young kid is playing on a playground with his friends, falls through a similar hole. His friends look into the hole. He's down deep. He can't get out. They're going to go get some help. His friend does not find the alien down here, but finds a strange black goo. Black goo attacks the child. Government gets called in. They quarantine the place, cover it up. We cut to, I think it's, I always forget if it's D.C. or what, or New York. I think it's D.C. Uh, it's probably D.C. Yeah, where uh, two FBI agents are on the roof of a building, and they are uh, trying to find a bomb. The F- these FBI agents, of course, are no, none other than uh, Agent Fox Mulder and Dana Scully. Oh. Jesus, Mulder. Whatever happened to plan a hunch, Scully? And the movie is, of course. Now, is that supposed to be the X-Files theme song? Because... There you go. Yeah, there you go. It almost sounds like like he's beckoning young Pinocchio to come with him to Fantasy Island. The the X-Files, so this is the X-Files movie, right? Uh, we looked at, I looked it up not after, the, not the second after one. we one. did the show yesterday. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's actually called Fight the Future. I think it's just called the X-Files. No, I think dude, Fight the Future is, is the tag on all the posters. X-Files, I'm pretty fucking positive that it is X-Files Fight the Future. Hang on. The X-Files film, also known as the X-Files Fight the Future, but the official name is just the X-Files. I think because every poster had Fight the Future on it to keep people from getting confused, maybe. Fight the Future. Well, the second one is called... Yeah, I don't know. All right, well, whatever it is. Because there's also a second movie. Anyway, so for people who are not familiar with the X-Files, can you preempt... Because at the time the movie came out, every, it was a cultural phenomenon. It's like they if they put out a Game of Thrones movie or something in the middle of all that, everyone that's, knows what it that's is. That's literally... So, so, so set it up for people who might be... So the uh, X-Files is pretty simple. It's very much, you know, and it, it, very much a 90s TV show um, in that it was, you know... Like the hair, like especially in those early seasons, you watch it and you feel like you're watching like Twin Peaks. Like it's, it the hairstyles, everything about it is just muted in '90s. But the the central idea is uh, Fox Mulder, who is a uh, played by David Duchovny, a uh, very much uh, a paranormalist, somebody who believes that the truth is out there, that the government is uh, conspiring against all of us in ways that we cannot fathom or understand. Those words mean the same thing. Um, is paired with uh, a much more pragmatic scientific doctor. Her name is uh, Agent Dana Scully, played by Gillian Anderson, who is one of the low-key best period actors, period, that we have, period. Um, I saw her in a production of Streetcar Named Desire at St. Anne's Warehouse with Vanessa Kirby and Ben Foster. She played Blanche, and she was stunning, 
her performance is staggering and her performance in X-Files, the show and the movie are staggering. Um, she's just such a brilliant actor. Whatever you told him in there, Scully, you don't have to protect me. All I told him was the truth. They're trying to divide us on this and we can't let them. Well, do they have divided us? They're splitting us up. What? What are you talking about? I have a meeting with OPR day after tomorrow for remediation and reassignment. They're the ones that put us together. Because they wanted me to invalidate your investigations into the paranormal, but I think this goes deeper than that now. This is not about you, Scully. They're doing this to me. They're not doing this. Uh, the TV show follows their adventures. Uh, there's kind of two types of episodes on the TV show. There's a monster of the week, which is, you know, kind of they run into, you know, like some random, like like a procedural. You know, every how Law & Order has a different episode, different like crime every week. It was the same thing. They had a different monster, different weird paranormal thing to to investigate. Or the episode would be something that tied into the larger plot, which was that Mulder's sister had been kidnapped when he was a child. And that was kind of his driving thing was that she, he believed that she had been abducted by aliens and wanted to find out the truth behind her abduction. So, you know, that tied in with the government conspiracy of it all is where, where a lot of those plots went. And the movie, the first movie, uh, kind of did a little bit of both because it was a monster of the week. Um, you know, we, we didn't really see these, these types of aliens a lot in the rest of the series or subsequent movie. However, it did tie in largely to the larger plot of the X-Files and dealt with a lot of the mythology that had already been built up. Um, but I think the brilliant thing, you know, the thing that makes this a buddy movie to me is the way that these two characters are depicted. Uh, and we mentioned this when we first recorded this podcast, but, um, you know, when you're making a movie of a TV series, one of the things that you really have to do is exposit for the audience who is not familiar with the TV series about who these people are. And the opening scene with Dana and Fox uh, on top of this building looking for this bomb is one of the best best examples of like how to exposit about your character, how to show and not tell. Um, we automatically get a sense of who they are within five minutes. Um, you know, Dana, so they're on the building, they're looking, and... You know, we don't see Fox. We can, you know, we're seeing this from Dana's perspective. She's on the phone talking to Fox, looking for this bomb. He has a hunch that it's there. So we already, we know that this dude doesn't deal with fact. He deals with instinct. Dana, on the other hand, deals with fact. Mulder, when a terrorist bomb threat is called in, the rational purpose of providing that information is to allow us to find the bomb. The rational object of terrorism is to promote terror. If you'd study the statistics, you'd find a model behavioral pattern for virtually every case where a threat has turned up an explosive device. And if we don't act in accordance with that data, if you ignore it as we have done, the chances are great that if there actually is a bomb, we might not find it. Lives could be lost. And it just really well sets up their dynamic um, that will last throughout the movie. I think the thing you can take from that as well is just how their friendship functions. Um, it is this Sherlock and Watson dynamic. Um, it is this dynamic of he is shooting from the hip, she is shooting from the head, right? He is the Kirk to her Spock. But at the same time, very similar to both those pairs, they do balance each other out. Mulder 
um, the, the driving force of this movie is not necessarily about the alien finding the alien. It's, you know, you find out that the X-Files are in danger of being de- uh, completely uh, uh, deconstructed, that they're not, the government's not going to fund the, the, the task force anymore. And that uh, uh, Dana has actually applied to be transferred. So Mulder is less on a fight to, you know, say, find this alien and more on a fight to, like, justify the X-Files still being in existence and his friendship with Scully still being a thing. So in terms of this being a buddy film, in terms of their, their relationship and how they help each other grow, I mean, the, the, the show obviously sets up five seasons worth of them building on each other. Uh, their relationship is is tenuous through all of that, and and this movie seems more of like a like a capstone um, to what that is. So what what does it what does it do that that really made it seem like the penultimate, you know, buddy movie to you? It's arguable that so much of their relationship, you know, in the TV series, is like there's not necessarily room to breathe with it. Like you you get a very strong sense that these people care about each other in the series. But because you only have a tr- you have this truncated amount of time, you you really have to push through on plot, and any quips or any you know character building or relationship building stuff comes through solely within the context of plot. In this movie, you just have time to like sit, and for them to really express how they feel about each other, like to the point of they they almost kiss. There's this beautiful scene in the hallway. Uh, outside of Mulder's apartment, right kind of in the midway midpoint of the movie where, you know, Dana's getting frustrated with the investigation and she's threatening to leave and Mulder finally lays it all on the table. Why did they assign me to you in the first place, Mulder? To debunk your work, to rein you in, to shut you down. But you saved me. As difficult and as frustrating as it's been sometimes, your goddamn strict rationalism and science have saved me a thousand times over. You kept me honest. You made me a whole person. I owe you everything. Scully, you owe me nothing. I don't know if I want to do this alone. The fans obviously were very excited about it because in the trailers it showed them almost kissed and we're like, ooh, are they finally going to kiss? And it was a whole thing. But I think that what they do so great is they, number one, spoiler alert, they don't kiss or they don't fully kiss. Um, she gets stung by a bee. Ow! Jesus. No. Something stung me. You must have gotten your shirt. Hate it when that happens. Oh, dude, don't you hate it when, like, you go in to kiss a girl and then she gets stung by a bee? Why are there always bees around when I'm trying to kiss? Legitimately, uh, tangent, me and Sarah, my wife, were in Nice, uh, or in France, we were, well, we were in, yeah, we were in, this was, no, this is when we were in Paris. We were trying to have a picnic at Versailles, and because you can, the grounds are just so massive, and you can sit there and just reflect on how these people hoarded all this wealth, and then the rest of France was like, yo, we're going to fucking kill you, because you've been hoarding all this wealth, and you can see it right in front of you. And we were sitting down for this picnic, and the way we got swarmed by bees, and I was just like, I, I literally got up, I was like, nope. Like, I don't care that we've bought this cheese off, like, some, you know, like, beautiful You're trying to have a romantic moment in a beautiful location, and there's suddenly bees. Not the bees. It happened in My Girl, and it happened in X-Files. And it happened in The Wicker Man. Well, the bees. (laughs) 
The bees, not the bees. The bees are the point there. Yeah. I mean, the bees are the point. Not the bees. Not the bees. Not the bees, Nick. Not the bees. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! I think that that's kind of what sets it apart, is it just gives them time to really express fully how they feel about each other. And um, and we've earned it. I think I think if you were watching this movie, you know, as a one-off without having watched the TV show, and you said this yesterday, that it probably wouldn't have the same impact. But um, if you were to knowing what you know about these characters and how long they've kind of had these feelings for each other, um, to see them finally attempt to express it to each other yeah. is like not even on a romantic level, just just like them being people. You know, it's just really cool to see. So yeah, X-Files. Go be a doctor while you still can. I can't. I won't. Mulder, I'll be a doctor, but my work is here with you now. That virus that I was exposed to, whatever it is, it has a cure. You held it in your hand. How many other lives can we save? I do suggest watching the show. Yes. Power through the nineties of it. It's very, it's very, you know, square made for TV, you know, every shoulder pads, so many shoulder pads. So many, uh, too many, too, maybe too many shoulder pads. Uh, this was the early nineties, uh, but get through it. It's, it's a phenomenal show when it comes to how to deal with uh, not only supernatural stuff and, and sci-fi and, and all that mystery, um, but relationships. Yeah. Uh, I think Kirk yeah. and Spock is a, is a good example if if uh, there was a male-female dynamic also and the profession, the professional dynamic is interesting um, in terms of how, you know, it's, it's a very cold calculated trying to do the job by the book and somebody who is using it um, for something bigger, who sees it as an entry point to something bigger and how that clashes and coincides. And it's, it's a, a phenomenal show. Uh, until you get to the the last season or two, and then oh, it just God. really goes off. Yeah, seasons eight through eleven are just yeah, Bray, what's, what's his the name? Rob, Robert Kirkpatrick. What's what's R- the, Robert um, Patrick the guy, comes in as his dog. Yep, and yeah. then and then and then the the new seasons that came out in like 2017, 2018 were just like oh what is yeah, that? they kind of brought it back, and it's yeah, it's like, guys, you know, guys, that's fine. It's over. But the hey, if, if fight, club. are you are you Kirk? And am I Spock or am I Spock? Man, I don't know. I'm. I feel like. I feel like I'm Data and you're Bones. You know, like we're not even in the same show. Ooh. I will absolutely yeah, take, especially crossover. Especially if we're talking like Carl Urban Bones. Do you know what I mean? I'll totally take. You bones. prefer the Carl Urban Bones? I love the, Carl Urban. Bones. The remake. Cause, cause Dude, I mean, he was just a drunk. He was just a fucking. He was a mess in the in the original TV show. Uh, but Carl Urban. I mean, if we're I being, mean, you're, you're you're probably you're probably more Tuvok, or like Jordy LaForge. So, for people who don't understand what he's saying to me right now, he's saying things to piss me off, and. Uh, all I'm going to say is, you know, that's fine. That's fine that you called me fucking Joy <laughs> Forge. How goddamn. The nicest man in the galaxy. 
Jordy LaForge. I am. You should be honored. Not, dude. If I'm Jordy fucking LaForge, then do you know who you are? Who's that? Will Wheaton. Will. Will. I knew you were gonna say that. Wheaton. People bash on the sweaters, but I am into it. Wesley fucking Crusher. What a waste. I met what? him. I worked on a on a documentary about the movie Galaxy Quest, and he was one of the interviewers, and we we hung out and interviewed him. And, I'm sure uh, he's, he's exactly a, who you think he is. I'm sure he's exactly. a very nice man, and and you know he seems like he's great, and he has such a big fandom, and you know, but he's he's Wesley fucking Crusher. He is Wesley Crusher. So, so I'm just wait. I'm watching Star Trek Picard right now. I'm just waiting for them to bring Wesley Crusher in, dude. It'll do happen. it. Very excited, um, but so you know, yeah, uh, we Fight Club and a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, X Files, and um, you know, when we get our Twitter and our Instagram, not our TikTok, fuck TikTok, but those social media things up and running, we would love to hear from you guys what your selections would be, um, you know. So definitely yeah. get at us once we once we we're start having. Uh, if you want, send us a little blurb about what your selection is and why we'll. Start yeah. reading them off. Start reading I'm them sure off that you guys have much better ideas than we do. Especially Alex. You guys have Especially much better ideas than Alex. Much better than me. The best idea Alex ever had was trying to be my friend. That's probably the smartest thing he's ever done. It's really panned out. It's, dude. It's really panned out. <laughs> Look at us, man. Start at the bottom, now we here. Um, on, our, on our second po- podcast episode. We've made second it. Pod- <laughs> we made it, dude. <laughs> Fucking made it, Corona. Uh, yo, all right. Well, this is beautiful. Right. Well, Alex, we'll see you next time. If as long as this audio exports okay, which I'm, I have my doubts. We can always go for a third, a third time. Yeah, let's do let's do third, fourth, fifth. Please you know don't I mean? delete this before we've checked it. And uh, yeah. don't tell me what to fucking do. Okay. See you next time. See you next time, you little bitch. Bye. Little Justin. Little Justin. Little Justice. Fuck yeah. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.